Welcome. You are listening to the Upper Room Podcast. For more information or to donate to this ministry, visit URFellowship.com. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Doing good? All right. So, uh, last week, we basically saw that God is all-powerful, but God has created a world in which he uh, doesn't want to run things as a tyrant, right, unilaterally, unilaterally, but rather wants to run the creation in partnership with his people. And he has given us genuine authority to, by agreeing with him in prayer and in other ways, to carry out his will on earth as it is in heaven. And so our, our prayers impact God, and they change the world. This is what we've learned. So this is a, it makes it a matter of urgency that the people of God cry out and contend and pray. There are things that he wants to have happen in the world that will not happen in the world unless the people of God agree with him in prayer. So that his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And we stand on the promise that prayer is always powerful and effective. And it always leaves the world a more kingdomized place, if that's a word, than before we prayed. We saw a couple weeks ago that we might not always see the effects of our prayers, but we know that prayer advances the kingdom of God. So we're called, not necessarily to understand all the mechanics of prayer, uh, but to be obedient and persistent in prayer. Now what I want to do for here for the next 20 minutes or so is get kind of, get real practical. To come down from kind of the theological realm to where the rubber meets the road. How do you pray? And that seems like maybe an obvious question. Prayer is just talking to God. Yes, we said that, but there are some biblical principles about how to pray that I think, if we apply them, will cause us to pray more and pray more effectively. I think the main problem that most people face in prayer is that <clears throat> when you go to pray, your mind gets distracted, right? Or you go to pray and it doesn't really feel real, or you go to pray and it doesn't seem to have any kind of results, just feels kind of empty, or you go to pray and you start getting bored, at least that's been my experience in different times in my life. And if you find that you're bored in prayer, or that prayer doesn't feel real to you, or you feel like your prayers are just kind of hitting the ceiling, or your mind gets, tends to get distracted in prayer, you're not going to be praying a whole lot. So today I want to give, just give us three biblical principles, which if we apply them, I believe will make our prayer life more alive and more real. Okay, so principle number one is simply this. Pray the truth. Pray the truth. The word truth in the Bible is aletheia. It means uncovered. So what this is saying is pray uncovered. Pray unveiled. Be honest with God. Be real with God. Don't conceal things. Don't hide things. Let there be no pretense in your relationship with God. The Bible says that to enter the kingdom of heaven, we have to become like little children, right? And the thing about children is they haven't yet learned that in the world, if you want to get by, you got to fake it. So they're very, very honest. So maybe we have something to learn by looking at some children's prayers. So I looked up some children's prayers. Here are some real children's prayers uh, that children prayed. <clears throat> These are mostly from um, Sunday school teachers. So, Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. <laughs> honest, right? That's honest. Dear Lord, thank you that we can come to church today. Thank you that no one got their head crushed or lost their arm on the way here. Oh. That's good. I pray something similar almost every week. 
dear God, instead of letting people die and having to make new ones, why don't you just keep the ones you have? Right? That's a great question. I don't know the answer to that question. Actual prayers at kids pray. I like this one. Dear God, could you please send Dennis Johnson to another summer camp this year? I like that one. Just, I don't want to go to camp with Dennis Johnson anymore. Just lots of honesty there. Kids say whatever is real to them. That's how our prayer life needs to be. God wants your heart more than he wants your correct information. Here's a spiritual principle, and, and it's a natural principle, but a relationship is about communication, and so the quality of a relationship is directly proportionate to the level of honesty in that relationship. This is why I think dating is no fun, at least not for me. I mean, I don't do it much anymore, but <laughs> my wife doesn't really like that. But even when I did, <clears throat> before I was married, I never really got it. Because the purpose of dating, presumably, is to kind of find out if this person you're dating, you know, really, do you want to decide if you want to spend the rest of your life with this person? But everything about dating really encourages the opposite of that. Right? I feel for you single folks. There's a lot of artificiality in the dating world. Everybody's trying to put their best foot forward and so forth. It's exactly the same with our relationship with God. Sometimes we pray like we're dating God. We're not honest. We say what we think we're supposed to say. Or sometimes, let's, let's get really honest here, sometimes there's stuff in our life that God wants to talk about that we don't want to deal with, so we pray around issues, don't we? Sometimes there's stuff in our life we don't want to give up, so we hide it. <clears throat> I mean, we pray really nice-sounding prayers, right? Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth, thus we hitherto exalt thy holiest of names. And I think God's going, wow, that's a nice prayer, Chris, but can we talk about that anger in your heart? And so maybe right now you don't want to get real with an, with an attitude or a behavior or a, or a relationship or whatever, um, but here's the thing. God knows. So you might as well just be like, God, here's where I'm at. I got this thing in my life, and, and right now I don't want to hear what you think about it. Because I think I know what you think about it. But I don't want to give it up. Say that if that's what's real. But then say one more thing. And that's this. Lord, change my heart. That's the prayer of David. Change my heart, O oh God. So maybe you're saying, I can't imagine doing life without this, but, but God, I'm open to changing, you changing my heart, so I don't want it so much. You see, when you keep the lines of communication open, then God can do the amazing work of transformation that he does. But if you're playing the artificial game, then you don't give God much of a chance to move. Also, sometimes we are angry at God, but we don't let that out in prayer. Can I tell you this? God is not a sensitive wimp. He doesn't have low self-esteem. He can handle anger. He can handle frustration. Some of the best prayers in the Bible are prayers that come out of very angry hearts, but they reflect the honesty of the person at the time. You have Moses complaining to God about the Israelites. He's super frustrated. He says, Why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give birth to them that you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a sucking child? He's a little frustrated. But then later he prays about the Israelites. If you will only forgive their sin, but if you not, blot me out of the book that you have written. Same guy. Or there's David talking about his military conquests, and he prays against God's enemies. He says, happy shall they be who take the little ones and dash them against the rocks. Wow. 
Same guy that said, one thing I ask of the Lord. This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. Same guy. Turns out there was other things he desired sometimes. The one who I think gets the award for honest, rare prayer, rare, raw prayers is Job. At one point, Job is going through this tough thing, and he says, God, you have made your hands fashion me, and now you turn to destroy me. He's implying there, God, create him just so he can torture him. Let me alone, he says at one point. God, just get off my back. You ever prayed that? God, let me alone that I might find a little comfort. You've turned cruel to me, and with the might of your hand, you persecute me. Isn't theologically accurate? And the guy's all messed up, but God loves the honesty of this prayer. He puts it in the Bible. And God shows up at the end of the book of Job, and he has, he has some words for Job. He straightens him out. But he's really angry at Job's friends. And he says this to, his, to one of his friends in chapter 42, verse 7. I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. That phrase truth is, um, in Hebrew, that means what is straight. He's saying you all weren't straight the way Job was. He's saying Job was honest. He was gutsy. He wasn't artificial. This is the principle of prayer. The good, the bad, the ugly, all mixed together. Prayer like this is found all through the scripture. Richard J. Foster says, Prayer involves ordinary people bringing ordinary concerns to a loving and compassionate father. There is no pretense in prayer. We do not pretend to be more holy, more pure, or more saintly than we actually are. We do not try to conceal our conflicting and contradictory motives from God or ourselves. And in this posture, we pour out our heart to the God who is greater than our heart, And knows all things. Don't perform your prayers. When you go to God, if you're happy, be happy. If you're sad, be sad. If you're angry, be angry. If you're confused, be confused. But keep the lines of communication open. C.S. Lewis says, To lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. Second point. Number two. This is one I've been thinking about, studying for a while. Because we we had a conversation in our small group. And I wasn't sure what I knew or what I believed about this one or what I knew was biblical. And this was actually not my opinion back then, but it is now. But second point, pray out loud when you can. Pray out loud. I'm not saying that silent prayer is wrong. I am saying that the biblical precedent is that prayer is almost always prayed out loud. I now believe that one of the main reasons people feel distracted when they pray or uh, the reason it doesn't feel real when they're praying, or they're, they're bored when they're praying, is because they're praying in their mind. Biblically, prayer is verbalized, with very few exceptions. One of the differences between meditation and prayer is uh, the Bible, in the Bible is that meditation is just done in your head. But prayer in the Bible is almost always verbalized. So let's look at a couple passages. Psalm chapter 5. David says, Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray in the morning. O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning I lay my requests before you and wait in expectation. David uses his voice. In the morning I lay my requests before you and wait in expectation. Psalm 142.1, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift my voice to the Lord for mercy. David is describing the way he prays. Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 11.13, Then I fell face down on the ground and cried out, O sovereign Lord, are you going to kill everyone in Israel? It's a very honest and real prayer that he prayed out loud. Jesus on the cross cried with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. 
He could have just thought it in his head, but he cries out in a loud voice. This is a biblical pattern of prayer. Acts chapter 4, on their release, Peter and John returned to their own people. They got released from prison and reported everything that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When the believers heard this, they lifted up their voices. Everybody say, lifted their voices. To God with one accord. My point here is this. The prayer in Scripture is almost always verbalized. It comes out of the mouth. God, of course, knows your thoughts before you speak them. Psalm 139 says that. At the same time, there's a power in your speaking that your thoughts don't have. And throughout the Bible, you'll find this incredibly strong emphasis on the importance of words. Words, when they go forward, they take on a reality. That's why the Bible puts such a big emphasis on guarding our words. James tells us that the tongue is like the rudder of a ship. The way you speak will determine the direction of your life. Yes, there's other factors as well, but the, the words we use are strong determining influences in our life. So I would encourage you, when you can, to verbalize your prayer. Just talk to God the way you talk to any other person. Like Moses. The Bible says that Moses talked to God face to face as one does with a friend. Talk to God as you would a friend. I have a smidge of ADD. I don't know if it shows too much, but I have found that my mind wanders less when I verbalize my prayers. I think this also helps praying feel more real. Not just like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Because when you say something, it becomes more real to you. And it doesn't mean you've got to verbalize it to the point where anybody next to you would even hear it. But just by the virtue of the fact that you're verbalizing it, even if it's a whisper, you're fitting into a biblical pattern of prayer. And there's power there and authority there that I believe you wouldn't otherwise have. So I encourage you to be real with God and to verbalize your prayers. Okay? In fact, I would say this. Uh, I would encourage you, the Bible says, to pray without ceasing. I think one of the main problems I think we have with prayer is that a lot of us has, have been conditioned to kind of think of prayer as sort of an exception to our ordinary day. So you go about your ordinary day, and then you have a separate time when you're, where you're going to now go and pray. And no wonder it kind of feels unreal, because it's totally disjointed from the reality of your life. <clears throat> I would encourage you to just integrate prayer into your life. Just weave it into everything you do and verbalize it. And don't go out of your way to look nuts, but... Just whisper prayers of blessing on people and bring the kingdom of heaven a little more wherever you go. Kingdomize as you go about your day. Just integrate your prayer life into everything you do. Make it normal. Pray without ceasing. Doesn't have to be long prayers. Doesn't have to be prayer that it has any these and thous and hitherto's. Okay, third point. Number three, pray with faith. Pray with faith. And what, what it is to pray with faith is that you pray with the eyes of your heart opened up. Paul prayed in Ephesians 1 for for us. He says, I ask that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened or opened, so that you may know the hope of his calling, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and the surpassing greatness of his power to to us who believe. To pray with faith really means you pray, you see in a certain way. It says this in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. It says, faith is the substance and the word substance there is hypostasis, which means solidity, solidness of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This is what the ancients were commended for. Faith is seeing 
or having a mental picture of something you hope for and you embrace it like a, a substantial reality in your mind. You see it. It's concrete. Hypostasis. It's solid. And when you have that concrete vision, it produces a conviction inside of you that makes you move forward toward that vision. So faith is about concretely envisioning something about the future that we believe is God's will and getting a conviction about it and pushing towards it. Faith is not psychological certainty. Faith is vision. Faith is conviction, but faith is not certainty. Faith is simply holding a vision in your mind that you believe is God's will and developing a conviction that motivates you to push towards it. You're called to have a vision about God's will being done in your life, in your body, your spirit, in your mind. Have vision about God's will being done in your families, in your neighborhoods, in your church, in your workplace. Get a solid picture of what God's will is towards that. And then start praying towards that. Start living towards that. Start manifesting the kingdom and bring God's will on earth as it is in heaven. That's the purpose of prayer. And that's the purpose of your life. And that's the essential nature of faith. Open the eyes of your heart. What, what today we might call our spiritual imagination, really. You see, we have in our culture kind of this concept that imagination means make-believe. But from a biblical perspective, that's what Paul means by opening the eyes of his heart. It's your ability to see and tap into spiritual realities. It doesn't take you away from the truth. It takes you closer to reality, Right? The reality, is, the reality is the presence of God is always here, correct? Truth is, the spiritual realm is present and active, yes? And if you look at the world just with your physical eyes, you're looking at the world inaccurately. You're missing a huge portion of reality. But God has equipped believers to see with their spiritual eyes in the spiritual realm. You know, the Bible talks about those who have eyes to see and ears to hear a lot. And we activate our faith to see what God wants to do and is doing. And then we manifest the kingdom of God on the earth. In Romans chapter 4, it says that Abraham was the father of many nations. And the reason it says that is because the scripture says, this happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. What faith is, is aligning your heart with God's heart. And you're now seeing things that are not as though they are. And then praying with faith. And I'll say it again because it's important. Faith is not about being certain of an outcome. Faith is about holding an internal reality in your head and pushing towards it with conviction. So as an example, let's say I'm praying for someone who's blind. Okay, If I'm having faith as I'm praying, it doesn't mean that I know they're going to see right then and there. What it is for me to have faith is to open the eyes of my heart and see them concretely, hypostasis, in my mind, getting their sight back and glorifying God and running around and dancing. I see that, and it creates in me a desire to see that happen in reality, a conviction. And so I press towards that. That's what faith is. We're called to be people of faith. That doesn't mean we have certain secret certainties in our brain about things or that we name it and claim it, or whatever, blab it and grab it, or fake it until we make it. Jesus never asked anyone to pretend like something wasn't real that wasn't real. There's a time he prayed for this guy and then asked the guy, can you see? 
And the guy goes, not really. I see people, but they're kind of walking around like blurry trees. Jesus doesn't say, well, you just got to claim it. Or you just got to be certain of it. Walk in your healing. He doesn't say that. He goes, well, okay, I guess we've got to pray some more. And so he prays for him. And then the man is fully healed. We're called to have faith, which is a vision and conviction about the future. Have vision about God's will being done in your life, in your body, in your spirit, in your mind. Have vision about God's will being done in your families, in your neighborhoods, in your church, in your workplace. Use your spiritual eyes and your spiritual imagination to get a picture of what God's will is. And then start praying towards God's will. Start living towards that. Start manifesting the kingdom of kingdom to bring God's will on earth as it is in heaven. That's the purpose of prayer. That's the purpose of our life. And that's the essential nature of faith. Amen? Amen. As we finish up, I want to tell you about something we're going to begin doing. Um, I think we talked about this a little bit, but I just want to reiterate it. That is prayer walks. Right, Sunday evening, starting tonight, September 6th, 7 p.m., whoever wants to come, we're going to meet at the public parking lot in Columbiana in front of the PNC Bank, across from the AAA building, in front of Chang Tai, if you know where that is, that parking lot. We're going to split up into small groups. We're going to walk and pray for about a half an hour. And if you aren't from Columbiana, I would encourage you, if you want to, to pray and walk in your area. Um, we believe God is stirring us to take our prayers beyond the walls of the church building. And so we are going to put feet to our prayers. And we're going to pray with a huge kingdom-sized hope for our city. Um, Graham Kendrick talks about prayer walks. He says this, Ordinary believers stepping into the streets to pray effectively for their neighbors, with eyes wide open to the real needs and with ears open to the prompting of God's spirit, intercession becomes an adventure. So if that's something you want to do, we'll see you tonight at 7. Okay? All right, let's pray. Let's finish up here. Lord, we pray that we would... Be your house of prayer, Lord. Give us faith. Open the eyes of our heart. Give us spiritual vision, Lord. Help us to be people who pray without ceasing, who put our trust in the power of of prayer more than anything else. Use us to build your beautiful Jesus-looking kingdom in every way. Shape and form us all, Lord. And God's people said in one loud voice, Amen. Amen.